Well, I believe we've had church tonight, amen? <laughs> you know, uh, I think one of the greatest compliments I could give you if I closed my eyes, I thought I was home at Gardendale First Baptist Church, and, I, and I, I say that as a compliment to you and to my church. I'm telling you, I love that. Many times when I have the privilege, as your pastor does, to go preach somewhere, that's typically not the worship I'm I'm falling when I'm preaching, so you guys have done uh, lit my fire. Can I get an amen in the house? God bless you so much, Brett. God bless you. Great job, and your wife, and the praise team, and the choir, and Miss Mary, the whole gang. And Brother Mike, it's so good to see you, Pastor. I love you, friend. God bless you. We, we love you dearly. Thank you for your years of ministry here, and for amen. God bless you. Amen. God be the Lord. We love you, brother. God bless you. Thank you so much. Pastor, thank you for inviting me. I, I love it. It's always good to be with you, and uh, I don't think I have to tell you that uh, God's hand is on your pastor, and you're, God bless you, and you're blessed, and uh, you are favored to have him here, and I know that you know that, but I mean that. He's, I've said this, that I mean that he's one of the uh, Best preachers I know. He can preach the cover off the Bible, my friend, and, and everything inside it too. So, and I mean that. I, I love him so much, and uh, God's hand is on him. I love his spirit. His family are such a blessing to me and our friendship. And uh, I'm just honored and humbled. I, I said this to him privately, and I would say to you publicly that I'm under his authority tonight. I believe in authority. He's the shepherd God has placed here. And if I say anything he disagrees with, you go with him. And then God will straighten him out later, right? So anyway, uh, I'm teasing, but I, I do mean this, that I'm under his authority. And I know as a pastor, you don't open your church up lightly to someone to preach. So thank you for trusting me to preach. And man, I've seen the list of preachers and I'm wondering, why am I on this list? I'm telling you to, to put me between Reginald Calvert, one of my favorite preachers, and Robert Smith tomorrow night. You have you got to be nuts to preach in between them too. So... If you have not heard Robert Smith, you don't, how many of you have never heard Robert Smith preach at all? Oh, man. He's really not that good. I wouldn't even come tomorrow night. He's, <laughs> and, uh, you, t tell him I said that if you would, but anyway, uh, I'm telling you, he uh, and, and Reginald this morning, I know he, they, they're two of the best preachers in all of America. And then Adam Dooley's going to be here, a good friend from Kentucky. Man, he can preach the word. He's now in Texas. And then Scott Dawson's going to be here. I'm telling you, I read that list and I thought, what? my wife said, what are you doing on there? I said, I have no idea. But anyway, I, I, I'm honored to be here. I really am. Thank you for the privilege of being. I've driven by this beautiful church, and I've always wondered, what would it be like to preach there? We're going to find out tonight, so I'm glad to be here. If you would, take your Bible, God's Word, and turn to Mark chapter 2, if you would. One of the familiar passages of Scripture, I love taking a familiar Scripture and maybe looking at it in just a little di different light, and so that's what I'd like to do tonight. If you've been in church any time at all, you've probably heard this story. You probably know it well. But I just want to read it to you and maybe look at it from a different angle. Lord, would you open our eyes to the reading of your word tonight? And Holy Spirit, speak to us. Man, the worship has been so powerful. It has whet our appetite for your presence and now for your holy word to speak to us. God, we don't want to leave here the same way we came. So would you change us tonight? In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Mark 2, verse 1, 
And again, Jesus entered Capernaum, and after some days, it was heard that he was in the house. By the way, could I just stop and say it's always good when Jesus is in the house, amen? (laughs) I know he's physically in the house here in this word, but I'm so glad he is here in this place. I've been to some churches where Jesus wasn't, I preached some sermons where Jesus wasn't in the house. You know, I was trying to get out of there. I'm so glad he is in the house, aren't you? And I can sense him tonight. Look at your neighbor, help me preach. It goes quicker. If you don't help me preach, I keep preaching and preaching. It gets ugly after a while. Eventually, jacks will close, all right? So look at your neighbor and tell him he's in the house. Amen? Oh, I love that. Now watch verse 2. Verse 2 says, And immediately many together gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and Jesus preached the word to them. By the way, let me stop there and say, isn't it amazing Jesus preached the word? I'm glad to be in a church and I'm glad to be in a pastor that I know preaches the word. He blesses his word. It's the word that has set us free. Amen. And then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, interesting. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes are sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemy like this? I mean, who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about those things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Verse 12. And immediately he arose, he took up the bed, he went out in the presence of them all, so they were all amazed, and they glorified God, saying... Now here's the title of the message. (laughs) We never saw anything like this. Lord, open our eyes to your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We never saw anything like this. Question, why not? Why don't we see God move in miraculous waves much anymore? Why don't we see mighty moves of His Spirit? Why don't we see incredible revivals? And why don't we see miracles that only God can do? And we read about the great revivals that happened in America in years gone by. And if there was ever a day and time that we needed America in revival, now's the time. Can I get an amen? Why, why don't we ever see these kinds of marvelous, miraculous moves of God in our churches anymore? We talk about those moves. We pray for those moves. We, we sing about those moves. We even read about those mighty moves in times go past and past. Why doesn't God move in miraculous ways? Why don't we have real revival? I'm not talking about just a good meeting, but I'm talking about a revival where God sits down on the house, where where the Holy Ghost of God sits down and does something that only he can. Why doesn't that happen much anymore? I'm not an expert. I I don't come tonight with all the answers. I mean, the Word has the answers, but I don't have the answers. And my church doesn't have all the answers. If you were at my church, and some of you may have been there, you know that we don't have it all figured out now. So I, I don't come with all the answers, but I do come saying, hey, I think God's Word can give us some insights about our question tonight. Why doesn't God move in mighty ways? 
Could I give you three answers tonight? I've got four, but it's a school, and I'll give you three, okay? Number one, because there is no real burden for the lost. There's no real burden for the lost. Stay with me a moment. Think about these four carriers. They were headed to see Jesus, right? They, they knew he was in town, and they were probably excited, couldn't wait for the moment to get over and see Jesus. And so here they were trekking over to where Jesus was, and all of a sudden they walked by this paralyzed man on the ground, and they're in a hurry to get to see Jesus, but something happens on the inside of them. They stop to do something. Now, I would suggest, ladies and gentlemen, young folks, mamas and daddies, I would suggest that there were many others who walked right by him. They didn't stop. They paid him no mind. They wanted to see Jesus. That's all they were concerned about. And they walked right by him. But something different happened on the inside of these four carriers. There was a burden. There was a compassion. There was an urgency. Man, if we don't get him to Jesus, no one else will. We, we've got to get him to Jesus. There, there was a, wor- a burden. Could I ask you a sobering question tonight, young people? Could I ask you, grandmas and grandpas, a sobering question? When is the last time you were truly, I was truly burdened for the lost family members? When, when was the last time I, I had a real burden? I mean, I mean, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep until somebody at work that I knew, some, a neighbor who didn't know Jesus, to, till they came to to know Christ. When is the last time I was so burdened, I I just couldn't function. I I, I wept and I cried and I I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat. I mean, God had placed this heavy burden on my heart. I've got to see my brother, my sister, my husband, my wife, my friend, my neighbor get saved. Where is that kind of burden in our churches? I submit to you, I don't see that much anymore in our churches. Oh, we'd like folks to get saved. Sure we do. But we typically only want people who look like us, think like us, talk like us. And that's not the way heaven looks like. In fact, Revelation says a picture of heaven will be too many to count. It always tickles me when somebody says, well, I'd like to come to your church, but it's too big. You going to heaven? Yeah. You in trouble. I tell folks, just sit on the front row and don't look back. It's not that big at all. But they're from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language, right? And, and so here's what happens in our churches. Here, here's what happens. Could, could I come down there? But let, let me get down here with you a moment, okay? Here's what happens. Uh, we're preaching the gospel. I know your pastor. He's preaching a clear gospel call. He's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And then the saved folk are wondering why nobody's getting saved. But the reason nobody's getting saved is because there's no lost people in the church. Because we've created a safe church rather than a saving church. Because when you create a saving church, it gets kind of messy because when people come to church and they don't have Christ in their life, they don't know the Lord, they, they kind of, they have some mess. We, we don't often say this, Pastor, but it's kind of like this. We want you to come to church, but look, you need to get your act cleaned up first. I mean, get your act together. You, you got some issues. You got some baggage. So get yourself, work on yourself, and then when you get cleaned up, then, then, then show up at church. But that's not the way God designed the church. God designed the church to be not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners, for folks who are messed up. And by the way, could you just remove your mask tonight as I remove mine? All of us here are messed up. Some of us just clean up better than others. You know what I'm saying? We all got some issues. Can I get an amen? Look at your neighbor. Help me preach. Look at somebody near you and tell them you got issues. Come on. 
Yeah. You got issues? Yeah. Now, now, now some of you enjoyed that far too much. We're going we're gonna to have an invitation in just a minute. And it always tickles me when I see the married couples, you know, the, the husband will look over the wife and he'll start to say it and then he ain't got the nerve. He'll say, no, I got to go home with her. I ain't, uh-uh. Yeah, I understand, but but it is true, isn't it? And the reason we don't see God move in mighty ways many times is honestly, I'm just I'm just being straight up with you. We've we've lost our burden, our urgency for lost people because we really kind of want a safe church, a clean church, rather than a saving church. I'll never forget my first church as a pastor, um, Davin. It was in uh, West Kentucky. I called the area. You would know it over there in West Kentucky and the Murray-Paducah area. And I had, I had graduated from seminary, and I was, I think, 25, 26 years old. It was my very first church. And, in fact, we had uh, just pulled into the parsonage, right? Uh, that's their house that they let us live in. You know what I'm saying? And so, anyway, we, some of you know what I'm saying. And we pulled in. We had the U-Haul. That was on a Saturday. And then Sunday, I was going to preach. So I get up. That Sunday, this is my first church as a pastor, my very first Sunday to preach at this beautiful little small church, wonderful little congregation, and I get up and, and I preach with all the passion and energy in my heart. And I noticed as I was preaching, there was a, what I will say, a, a lady who was great with child. In fact, I was fearful if she got too excited in church, we might have a baby. And so I just, I said, no, no, God's good. Just be calm. But anyway, and so I, I gave, I preached and gave the invitation, my very first, and, and she was nine months pregnant and, and she got out in the aisle and she waddled, I mean, she walked down to me and she said, I, I, I'd like to join. And I introduced myself. And I said, well, tell me your name. And she, Karen, and she, she, we talked about her salvation experience. And she'd come to join. And, and I'm thinking, man, this is what's going on in my mind now. My first church as a pastor, 25 years old. And I'm thinking, man, God, thank you. This is your way of kind of affirming your call on my life. If, if you were wondering whether I've got my hand on you, God was trying to say, hey, I got you, Kevin. I, this is just to let you know that, that I'm going to bless you and bless your ministry. You just follow me. And I just felt like it was an affirmation of God's call on my life. And then I was thinking, all this is going through my mind. Then I was thinking, if anybody out in that congregation was thinking, we should not have called this 25-year-old kid. He does not know what he is doing. I felt like this was God's way of saying, hey, I got this. You made the right decision. This guy's all right. He's going to make it. All that's going through my mind, right? Man, I'm on a mountaintop thinking, my first Sunday, we got a decision. Isn't that awesome? And I said to the church, this is Karen. Church, aren't you glad? Aren't you excited to receive Karen? If you will, you just say a big amen and all of a sudden, about 70 folk there, the chairman deacon stood up and said, Preacher, we can't receive her. Scared the living daylights out of me. They didn't train you for that in cemetery, I mean seminary. And so anyway, <laughs> and so I didn't know what to do. Karen's standing there. I just met her. She's trying to join the church. And a, a sweet, precious deacon said, he, she can't join. And my dad was a PE teacher for 30 years. And so when you had trouble, the only thing I knew to do was call time out. So I just said, all right, hold on a second. Time out, time out. And I looked at Karen. I said, Karen, hold on a second. I'll be right back. 
And literally in the service, now everybody's standing, the invitation. I go running back in this beautiful little small church, and, and John's back there, and I said, hey, John. I said, what's going on? Well, we can't receive her, preacher. She's come from another church of not like faith and order. And I said, well, I don't know what that means, but I can tell you this. She wants to join. You want her to join, right? Yeah. Okay, well, listen, let's work out the details this week. There, you can't do it publicly. Let's just love on her and receive her, and we'll work out the details. He, he said, okay. I go running back to Karen. She's still standing up there now, nine months pregnant. And I said, Karen, I'm so sorry. Look, we, we, we want to receive you. We'll work out the details this week. My wife and I will stop by your house this week. So we're glad you came. And I just looked at the church and I just said, you're dismissed. <laughs> my first Sunday. And everybody walked out in a fog. And, and I went from a mountaintop saying, man, ain't God good, to in the valley saying, what just happened? Why am I even in the ministry? That was on Sunday on Monday, Karen had filled out one of those little cards, you know, to join. So we had her contact information. And my wife, Kim, and I, we went over to her little apartment and we knocked on the door and we went in. And Karen, I told Karen, I'm so sorry for what happened. And she said, well, can I tell you my story? And I said, sure. She said, well, I guess you know that I'm pregnant. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> and she said, yes. And she said, well, let me tell you what's happened. I grew up in church, but I have drifted away from the Lord. And as you can see, I don't have a husband. But when I got pregnant, something on the inside of me, she didn't know what it was. We know it was the Holy Spirit. Something on the inside of me said, you need to raise this little baby girl. She knew it was a girl in a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. You need to get your life right. You need to become the mama this baby girl is going to need. And you need to find a good church to grow her up in the church. And so I got up Sunday morning, I got in my car, and I had no idea where I was going. And I literally just drove. And I drove past probably 20, 30, 40 churches. And my little church was out in a very rural area. In fact, you had to turn on a little one-way road, just a narrow road, and the asphalt would eventually run out. And if you ran into a tractor or a cow, you was in trouble. You couldn't get by. You know what I'm saying? And she drove all the way out there, and she said, I didn't even know there was a church out there. And when I pulled in the park, there was something on the inside of me that said, this is it. Now, we know it was the Holy Spirit. Amen. And she said, I got out and I walked in the church and you guys were singing. I had no idea it was your first Sunday. I didn't even know you. But something on the inside of me said, this is the church. I want you to plant your life, get your life right, raise this child the right way. This is the church. Why don't you go down there and join this church this morning? And so I walked forward to join. Pastor, God's done a deep work in my life. And she began to shed tears there in her little one-bedroom apartment. And my wife and I, we gathered around her. We got on our knees right down there on the couch. And, and she prayed, and we prayed, and we laid hands on her. And I'm telling you, I don't want to scare you, but we had us a Baptocostal meeting in that little one-bedroom apartment, man. We just, we just had church up in that little apartment. It was incredible. And I helped her up so she wouldn't deliver. You know what I'm saying? And so, now that was on Monday. And so that following Saturday, then, my wife was here. She'd tell you this is the honest God's truth. The following Saturday, they had the first, my first deacons meeting. I've been at the church now six days. I started on Sunday. The U-Haul is still in the parking lot. It's still in the driveway of the parsonage. And so I showed up. They had their deacons meeting at a local restaurant. And so I got there, and all the deacons were already there, and they were sitting around eating their pancakes, talking, going to this business. And I walked in, and they said, Preacher, we're glad you're here. And I remember it was a little cold. I had a coat on. I was in West Kentucky, and I said, Well, I'm glad I'm here too. And then they said, We're just sitting here deciding whether or not we're going to let Karen join the church. And I know you don't know me, but I'm telling you, this started kind of on the back of my thighs. It came up my back and up the back of my head, and I leaned over, and I said, Excuse me. They said, well, we're just sitting here deciding whether we're going to let Karen join or not. 
And I said, well, guys, let me ask you something. I'm 25 years old now. I've been here six days. And I said, uh, have any of y'all talked to Karen? No. Do any of you know her story at all? No. Don't know anything about her? No. But you're sitting in this red restaurant eating pancakes deciding whether she should join the church or not. I said, let me tell your story. And I gave them the story of how she had become pregnant and God had broke her heart over that and how God had said, you need to get in church. You need to raise this baby. Find a good Bible-believing church. And she traveled past, you guys know, probably 30, 40, maybe 50 other churches all the way out into the, into the rural area and found our church. And God said, this is the place. And she came to join. She's got her life right. We sat in that Monday night, her apartment. Man, we shed tears. We sang. We had a Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, it was just an awesome time. God is moving in her life. And I leaned over and I said to those deacons, let me tell you something, fellas. If Karen's not welcome in this church, then neither am I. And I never forget, I zipped my coat up and I just turned around and I walked out of the restaurant. Drove back to the parsonage, their house that we're staying in. I'd only been gone about 30 minutes. And my wife said, well, you hadn't been gone long. That must have gone well. It's true. She'd tell you if she's here. I said, I said well, I, I'm not so sure. And I told the story. And she said, you did not. I said, yes, I did. She said, you did not. I said, yes, I did. She said, you just zipped your coat and walked out. I said, I just zipped my coat and walked right out. She said, what's going to happen? I said, I don't know, but I wouldn't finish unpacking the U-Haul. <laughs> it's true. Now listen, the Reader's Digest version, the good news is a couple hours later, the deacons came to the parsonage, said, Pastor, we didn't know the story. Forgive us, we jumped the gun. And, and man, you're right, and man, we're excited. And they listen, they ended up, that church ended up giving her a baby shower like you have never seen. They embraced her, they loved her, and she began to reach some of her single mother friends because birds of feather flocked together. And all these single mothers started coming to this little small rural In fact, we had a vacation Bible school. Back in those days, they had the station wagons. Remember those days? They, they had 27 kids packed in one station wagon. It was incredible. We had the highest vacation Bible school attendance we had ever had. The church ended up loving her and embracing her. But I want to tell you, early on in my ministry, it was a pivotal point where God said, Kevin, you've got to decide whether the church is going to be a museum for saints or a hospital for sinners. And you've got to decide whether your security comes from a local church or the paycheck where you're pastoring, or whether your security, your confidence in me. You just follow me, Kevin, and I'll take care of you every step of the way. There's no real burden for the lost. Who is it that God has impressed upon your heart tonight who's far from God, doesn't know Jesus, and he's putting a burden, a deep, profound, significant burden on your heart for them? Number two, I've only got three. Are you okay? You all right? Look at your neighbor and ask him, are you okay? You okay? You all right? All right, number two, why doesn't God move in marvelous ways? Number one, there's no real burden for the lost. Number two, ah, man, I don't know. <laughs> I'll be gone in a few minutes. No, number two, <laughs> number two, there's no real and I feel like I'm probably preaching the choir at this church, but there's, let me just give it, there's no real openness to change. Now think about our text. Here's four carriers on the roof. They've dug a hole in the roof and they're letting down a paralyzed man on a bed. Now let me question. Do you think they have ever 
cut a hole in a roof before during a worship service? I kind of doubt it. Don't you think somebody looked up and said the seven most famous words heard in a church? We've never done it that way before. (laughs) Right? Think about it. It's it's pretty incredible to think about it, isn't it? Now listen, the message never changes, but sometimes the methods, the way that we do church, sometimes that can be altered. That can change. The message never changed. Thank God this church for years, for decades, has been preaching there's only one way to the Father, that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. The only way to have your sins forgiven is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm glad to be in a church that still preaches the blood. Amen? I'm glad to be in a church that still preaches the Word. Brother Mike, Pastor Devin, I- I'm so glad to be a- So the message never changes. Hear me clearly. But some Sometimes the methods do. The way in which we do church, the way in which we we do ministry, sometimes that can change. I'll never forget in that same little church I was at, I was speaking about a moment ago, I I decided to have a high attendance on a Sunday morning. And so I got the Sunday school superintendent. I don't know if y'all still use that term, but maybe you remember that. And and I got the Sunday school superintendent, a volunteer layperson. I said, hey, look, we're going to have a high attendance. We're going to drive a hundred Sunday school. If we get a hundred, you can slap a, a cream pie in my face. And if we don't reach that goal, then I'm going to smash one in your face. And he said, well, we'll do it after the service downstairs. I said, no, no, no. We're going to do it in the service right toward the beginning. I'll never forget. He looked at me and said, can we do that? <laughs> I said, well, they didn't kick me out for a while ago. I'm over 25. Let's give it a whirl. I'll never forget. And then he said to me, we've never done that before. And I said, well, great. This is going to go over wonderful then. You've never done this? Man, the people are going to love this then. Man, this is going to be awesome. My wife was tugging on my sleeve and she said, honey, he's not complimenting you. (laughs) You know, in reality, the church many times is the last organization to make any strategic changes. Everything around the church has changed, but not the church. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes that's the reason for stagnation. That's the reason for decline and eventual death because we, we don't embrace those. But I would suggest to you tonight that, that most changes, we, we resist them at first, but most changes are good. Think about this. How many of you have running water in your house? That's a pretty good change. I remember when I was dating my wife, we'd been married now 31 years. We went to visit her grandmother out in the boonies, out in the sticks, and, and we walked in, and her little grandmother was probably, I don't know, maybe four foot eight, 65 pounds soaking wet. I'm not that big of a guy, but she looked at me and she looked at Kim and she says, You got a big one. Now she's four foot eight, you understand? <laughs> and I'll never forget, she, she grabbed a pan. And it was rusted out, and she handed it to me, and she said, She used the word fetch. Would you go fetch me some water? And I looked at my wife, Kim. I said, what's she talking about? She said, follow me. And we went outside and went out back and we put her hand on a handle, a pump, and, and we began to pump and water came out and water was gushing into this old, I mean, you know, rusted out pan. I said, what are we going to do with this? And my wife said, she's going to cook with it. I said, we're going to die. <laughs> How many of you have a bathroom in your house? See, change is not always bad, is it? Some of you precious older folks, do you remember the outhouses? You didn't have a, didn't have a bathroom, man. You had, you had to go down a trail somewhere, you know, and, you know, you had to, looking out for snakes. And, you know, when I moved here to Alabama, I didn't know we had roaches as big as squirrels. I didn't know that. I mean, the first roach I saw, I stepped on it, and it just laughed. That's all it did. It just laughed at me. 
I pulled my foot back and he said, is that all you got? I didn't know, incredible. You made, hey, you go into an outhouse, man. You, you really had to go, you know. And now we got, we got restrooms. You got two, three, four of them in our houses. Change is not always bad. Listen, my daughters are 25, 22, and 14 going on 30. Anybody feel my pain? Anyway, you know what I'm saying. And so uh, three girls, and I was thinking the other day that my girls do not remember a telephone with a cord attached to it. Now think about this. In our house, all we have, we have a cordless phone and we have cell phones. Now, now my two oldest were young and we had, my, my, my 14-year-old, she'd never even seen it. She'd have, and I would tell them, yeah, telephones used to have cords attached to them. And you remember you'd have that cord and you'd be trying to get something out of the refrigerator while you're talking on the phone. What? Hold on, get me a Coke, right? And you, and you, you just wouldn't stretch. And, and then if you had a lot of money, they came out with 10-foot cords. Do you remember those things? Are you serious, man? You take that old phone, you walk over there. He said, I'm in the, I'm, I'm getting chocolate chip cookies out of the oven right now. All right. I'm in the refrigerator right now. You got that long, you all the way across. And, and remember, sometimes you go too far and you'd stretch that thing, right? You'd go back and it would just twirl up. Wouldn't it just, oh goodness. And you'd have to take that receiver and you'd have to go back and you'd, no, no, too far back, back. Sometimes you take the cord, let the receiver hang, right? take you 15 minutes see you young people some of you up are google this you don't know anything about it google this it's true it's crazy that's the way we live listen my girls think about this I was talking my 14 year old the other day and she has never seen a television without a remote control and I was just telling her you know when we grew up we didn't have a remote control and my 14 year old Kayla she said to me dad what did you do that's what she asked me. What did you do? And I, I paused for a moment. I said, well, we had to get up off the couch. And we had to walk over the television set. And she said, without thinking, God forbid. I said, yes. That's right. That's what she said. God forbid. I never, yeah, I fell on the floor laughing. Would you know, I had to walk over and you had to turn it to clank, 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 clank. Clank, clank, all the way around, right? You only had like three channels, but you had to go all the way around, right? And you had an outside antenna. Remember those days? You'd say, oh, I can see it. Somebody'd be out there adjusting, right? You'd be hollering through the window. Go back the other way. Back, back, right there. Hold it right No, you've gone too far. Go back. Go back. There, I think I see it. I think, what is that, a car? No, it's, I don't know what that is. Who, it, go back, go back. Remember those days? Google this stuff. I'm telling you, you've never seen this stuff. So, so what are you saying, Pastor? I don't know, but we're having fun. And what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that sometimes the church is the last organization to make any strategic changes in order to reach this lost generation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear me again. We never change the message. Jesus is, always will be the only way to the Father. But sometimes the way you do church, you have to make some adjustments. Churches are so funny to me in some ways. They pastor search committees, they'll talk to a pastor, and that pastor, we need to make some changes, so we want to hire you to come in and make the changes so our church will grow. And the pastor is naive enough to believe that they're speaking for the congregation. <laughs> I'm just... This is therapeutic for me. I really... Uh, yo. <laughs> And so, 
And so the pastor comes in and he begins to make just some structural, some strategic minor adjustments and the church doesn't want to make any changes. Then they fire the pastor because the church doesn't grow because they would not make any changes. Don't you believe God wants to bless his church beyond your wildest dreams? I mean, when you really think about this, this is not Pastor Devin's church. It's not Brother Mike's church. It's, it's not the deacon's church. It's not the leader's. It's not Brother Brett's church. It's, I mean, it is his church. And I can tell you, he wants to bless his church beyond your wildest dreams. He's just waiting. Don't you think he's in heaven saying, man, I want to pour out my spirit. Man, I want to do deep work. Man, I want to do something so phenomenal, so big. It would blow the 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye seen, no ear is heard, no mind can even conceive the great things God has planned for those who love it. He wants to bless his church beyond our wildest dreams. He's just waiting for us to get out of the way. Think about old 15-year-old Timmy. He comes home and tells his parents, I've been blessed with a Corvette. <laughs> and his parents said, eh, what are you talking about? Yeah, I bought a Corvette for $25. They said, you can't buy a Corvette. Yeah, the lady in the street, she sold it to me, $25. Go down there and ask yourself, Dad. So Dad said, I will. And he trots down the, 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 the road and he finds this precious woman. She, this mother, she's, she's working there in the, uh, she's working there in the, in the field, in, the, in their plant, in the garden. And and he says to her, ma'am, I don't know how to tell you this, but my, my son says you sold him a Corvette for $25. And she said, I did. Could I tell you the story? And he said, sure. He said, well, my husband, for some reason, he decided to run off with his secretary to Hawaii. And he has run out of money. And he called me this morning and said, would you sell my Corvette and send me the money? So I did. <laughs> Fellas, you can't outsmart them. Don't you want to see God do something that you've never seen before? We've never seen anything like this. Oh, God, do it again. There's no real burden for the law, no real openness to change. Let me give you this last one. Number three, there's no real celebration in the church. There's no real celebration in the church as a whole. It's interesting when you look at our text, again, you look at verse 6 of Mark 2. The Bible says, and some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Now remember, scribes, these are somebody inside the church, not outside the church. This, this is not somebody outside, somebody inside. In, in our day and age, this would be somebody on the praise team, maybe in the choir, handing out bulletins and greeters and ushers, maybe leading a Bible study. This, this is somebody inside, not outside. And the Bible says they're reasoning in their hearts. And what are they saying? Are they saying, man, this is such a holy moment. Man, I'm telling you, this is incredible. Look at that. Look, they've created a hole. And man, they're lowering him right down. The and look at Jesus speaking to him. He's forgiven his sin. He's raising him from his sickness. Man, this is, oh God, I can't believe I was here tonight of all night. This is awesome. No, they weren't saying any of that. They said, why does this man speak, speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Listen to me. They miss the miracle of the moment. They missed it entirely because they were too busy critiquing and criticizing instead of celebrating. Hello. I know a lot of church folk like that. 
God shows up, man, there's, the worship's powerful. The pastor preaches a strong word, an anointed word. He's been living with all week long. And man, some folks come to the altar and you can just feel the spirit of God in the place. And somebody walks out and says, well, the coffee was cold. One day I preached my heart out. God moved in a powerful way. A lady walked up to me and said, Preacher, did you know the choir chairs aren't centered? I said, that, That's what you got out of the service? Yeah, we got 18 on one side and 16 on another. We're crooked. Are you kidding me? Could I just ask you, where, where's the joy? Where, where's the real celebration in our church? Acts 13, 52 says they're filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy. I'm telling you, when God shows up in the house, there will be joy. There will be laughter. There will be smiles. There'll be the peace of God, the freedom of Almighty God. Where is that in most? Of, you know what I love about your church? I love the passion, the enthusiasm, the energy tonight. Because when God's in the house, you can't just give him leftovers. He's been too good for him to give anything less than my very best. Amen. I always took a, a preacher, what if we get too far out of control? Um, we're not on the radar yet. You're okay. We're just working on smiling and breathing right now. You know what I'm saying? It always tickles me. We don't want to get out of control now, preacher. Uh, you can relax. It's all right. I'd much rather have to tame a fanatic than raise a corpse, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'd much rather get up some Sunday man and say, I know God's good. Wasn't this worship awesome? I know your sin forgiven. You got a home in heaven, but you're scaring me. You need to calm down just a little. I'm typically, typically I, I'm looking for a pulse. Are you alive? Anybody in here alive? Your skin's cold. Anybody breathing in this place? You look blue around the gills. You know what I'm saying? Good night. You ought to see what we see up here leading worship and preaching. Folks look like they've been baptized in prune juice, man. It's incredible, man. <laughs> Come to church, man. Incredible. Come in, sit down, cross their arms. I love Jesus. I just hate people. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's incredible. What, what's the deal? No wonder God doesn't show up. You think he's going to show up in a place that's cynical and critical and negative? No, my friend, he's going to show a place that's alive and vibrant, that once got, you think about lost people, their lives have been wrecked by the enemy, they are bruised, they are bleeding. If they could, they would physically crawl into church as a last resort. I'm wondering, is this God real like they say he is? I know what he's done in Bob's life and Sue's life, I'm wondering, could he do it in my life? And they come in, if they could, they'd crawl into church, they're fearful, they're discouraged, depressed. And what do they find in most of our churches? Most of the time, they find dry, dull, dead religion. God forgive us. Man, if you know him. I love that old preschool song. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. If you're happy, you know it, then, you, then your, your life will surely show it, right? It's amazing how we get excited about so many things and come to church. afraid to express our celebration, our, our appreciation. And listen, I, I moved down here 11 years ago. One thing I've learned, we love our football down here in Alabama. Oh, let me tell you, we got some folks, they go nuts over football. I got some of my church. And the ladies, they're as bad as the men. They're worse, in fact, I'm telling you. They'll come to church on Sunday like they played in the ball game on Saturday. Preacher, 
Oh, if that, listen, if we hadn't hit that field goal, I'd have had him in that natural glycerin tablet. I'm telling you, I thought I was going to die, preacher. Woo! Okay, they'll wear their jerseys like they're going to get in the game. Some of them think they have some eligibility left. I believe that. You never know, preacher. He may need me. Incredible. I never forget my first Sunday at Gardendale First Baptist, 11 and a half years ago. They're preaching a view of a call, right? And, and, and we had three services at that time. And so in between the services, a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl walked up to me, had her mother beside her. She put her hands on her hip. Now, this is the day in view of a call, where they're going to vote, whether they want me to be their pastor or not. And she just said to me, who you for? <laughs> and I said, excuse me? And she said, who you for? And her mom, trying to help me out, said, well, she's wanting to know whether you're Roll Tide or War Eagle. And then trying to help me out, she looked at her daughter and said, honey, he's not from down here. He's from up north. He's from Kentucky. He said he's a Louisville Cardinal fan. And she said, well, that's fine up there, but who you fur down here? (laughs) And they hadn't voted on me yet, so I just looked at her and said, well, honey, I'm for both of them. She walked back from me. Her eyes got big as silver dollars. Boy, she put up a cross sign and she said, preacher, you can't do that down here. I'm going to tell you, after 11 and a half years, can I tell you, you can't do that down here. <laughs> Even now, people ask me. They still, they still try to corner me. Who you for now? You've been 11 and a half years. I give the same answer I've given for 12 years. I'm for whoever has the free tickets. That's who I'm for. <laughs> and I've been to both stadiums, man. I'm telling you, I had a blast, man. I go Tuscaloosa. I go down there to Auburn. We, I go with those guys, man. I'm telling you, they'll say, preacher, we're going to game on Saturday. You ready? It's Tuesday. I know, but we got to get ready. They'll come to church on Wednesday. Are, are you fired up? Yeah, I'm fired. I'm getting ready to preach. No, I'm talking about the ball game. I know we got church. I'm talking about the ball game. You fired up? That's on Wednesday, man. Thursday, finally come pick me up Saturday. We're, we leave eight hours for the ball game. We parked seven and a half miles from the stadium. They just march into that stadium, man. And, come on, preacher. We're going to kill them in Jesus' name. We're going to kill them. Right? Oh, they have a blast. They're shouting, giving money away to people they've never met, buying food for strangers. They have a blast, stand the whole time, march all the way back to their car, drive all the way to home, and then Sunday morning comes rolling around. They'll walk in about 20 minutes late. They were there eight hours before the ball game. Sit on the back row. We stand too long here. You stood eight hours yesterday during the ball game in the rain. You wasn't going home early. Could I just ask you, where is that passion in my church, in your church, in my life, in your life? You want to open the door to the floodgates of God's presence? Worship Him with everything you got. And then watch what happens. Look again at verse 12. Let me, let me land the plane this way. Look again at verse 12. Now watch what happens. Verse 12, and immediately he arose. Some translations word it this way, he got up. Let that sink in a minute. He's never walked before in his life. He got up. That's the kind of God we serve. I don't know what's holding you down tonight, but can I tell you, if you will come to Jesus, he can set you free. He got up. Hallelujah. And he took up the bed. Wow. Think about that. The very thing he has spent his whole life on. I mean, everywhere he went, he was on that bed. And they placed him strategically there in front of the temple so that maybe Christian folk would walk by and maybe someone would have compassion. He was there on that bed. He's always been on that bed. He was always on that bed. And now here he is. He's taking up the very thing he's been tied to. Why? Because Jesus has set him free. 
And he takes, and the word picture is, he takes it and he rolls it up and he puts it under his arm. That's the power of God. Whatever the enemy has you handcuffed to, Jesus can set you free tonight. And he puts it under his arm and watch what happens. I love this. And he walks out. Listen, he went out in the presence of them all. I would submit to you that he walked out in front of many of the same people who walked right by him. And I don't know if they had a Jerusalem strut, but I think he probably did it, don't you? Uh huh. I'll race you the chariot. You know, I think, yeah. And then watch what happens. This is how we close. They were all amazed. And I love this. And they glorified who? God. Interesting. I mean, if that would have happened in our day, man, we'd be, We'd be praising that paralytic, man. You're awesome, man. You're incredible. You, 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 we'd put him on TBN. We'd write a book, make a movie, man. Put you on a tour. Tell us what was it like when you're up on the house. Were you afraid? Were they going to drop you? I mean, did it scare you? What, and Jesus, what did he say to you? Tell us again how, and what was it like the first time you walked? Wasn't that amazing? And you mean you took the man and walked out? Yeah, tell us that story. We would be, listen, we never get his name. Why? Because the story's not about him. If this would have happened in our day, man, we'd be praising those four carriers, right? You guys are awesome, man. Who thought of it first? Hey, we'd put them on TV. Let's write a book about them. Let's interview them. Man, you guys are so creative and innovative. You're awesome, man. Tell us the story. Whose idea? When you got him up, did you feel like you were dropping him? Was he heavy? How'd you, when you lowered him down there, what did that feel like? Did you wave at the people when you created the hall? Tell us your, listen, we never even get their names. It's not about them. When I get to heaven, there's some people I want to look up. I want to look these carriers up, man, because they think outside the box a little bit. They're my kind of folk. I like to hang around people whose elevator doesn't quite make it to the top. Those are my kinds of folks, man. I, I don't want folks that, well, we can't do it. We tried that back in 52. I, I like to hang around people who are willing to try something a little different. I want to get to heaven and say, hey, where are you guys at? I want to see you. I want to say, it'll be great. You know who's going to come running out? Four ladies. It was us. It was us. I guarantee if it's anything like my church, it was four ladies. I guarantee you that. But we never even get their names. Why? Because it wasn't about them. They were amazed. I love the simplicity of this. They were amazed and they glorified God, saying, man, we've seen some things in our day, but we've never seen anything like this. That's what this Harvest Revival is all about. It's not just to have another series of meetings and have some great music and some okay preaching and say we've done it, we can check that off, we had a fall revival. No, 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 no. I know the heartbeat of your pastor and the heartbeat of this church. We want to see God do something so big, so amazing that we step back and say we've never seen anything like this. Would you pray with me? And with our heads bowed, you know, I got here a few minutes early tonight and I just drove around the area. I like to do that if I have enough time and just 
Ask God, God, what do you want to do tonight? What do you want to do in this area, in this region? And I pulled in the parking lot, and I spent some time in the car praying. And I prayed, Lord, I don't want to leave here the same way I came. Man, I really don't. Life is so brief. I don't want to leave here the same way. I want to go back to my home, to my church. I want folks to say, Pastor, what happened to you? And I want to say, I'm telling you, I went over there to Pelham, First Baptist Sunday night, and God got a hold of me in a fresh way again. I don't want to go back and be the same dad, the same husband, the same father, the same pastor. So I want to ask you to pray that same dangerous prayer. Lord, I don't want to leave here the same way I came. As a teenager, as a single adult, a college student, a mom, a dad, maybe a grandma or grandpa, maybe a precious widow, a staff member, a church leader, church member, maybe a guest, maybe a visitor tonight. Would you pray this prayer? Lord, I don't want to leave here the same way I came. Change me tonight. Now you're going to have an opportunity to respond to His voice. Just a moment. They're going to lead us in a great old song. I give you my heart. And this altar is open. And I love this altar all the way from the right to the left. I, I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to, to move, to get up and come to this altar and say, God, send a revival this week, a mighty move of your spirit. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you've got a religion, but you don't have a real relationship, man, don't leave here like that. You say, I don't, I don't seem to have the joy everybody around me has. That's because you've got religion. You don't have Jesus. Tonight, our pastor and our staff is going to be right down here. You can come to any one of them. And you can just say to them, hey, I need Jesus. I tell my folks, say three words, I need Jesus. That's it. They'll know exactly what you mean. And so I'm going to invite you, whether you're on the main floor or you're up in the balcony. I want to invite you to just move. And you may have to crowd down here. And Sometimes it's a little chaotic, but that's okay. You may come by yourself. You may come with a friend. You, you might come with a family member, a, a husband, a wife, maybe a, a father. You want to grab your children. I, I don't know. I'm just telling you, I know the heartbeat of this pastor in this church. There is freedom in this house tonight. And I am begging you. This is a divine appointment, a divine moment God has given you. Do not miss it like the scribes did. Maybe tonight you want to come and say, I need a burden, man. I've lost my passion for lost people. Maybe there's somebody God's name, and you want to come and, and you want to claim them. Pray for them by name tonight. I don't know. Maybe you've lost your joy. The enemy's robbed you of your smile, your laughter. I don't know. Maybe you've resisted some, some adjustments the church has been making. You want to come and say, oh, God, break my heart. I'm just telling you, there is freedom in this house tonight. I, I want to pray for us. And if you just play a little bit of music first, and then, and then we'll sing in a moment. Just, just some music. That, Lord, right now, right now, in the strong name of Jesus, God, would you give freedom and liberty 
Would you save the lost and set the prisoners free? God, would you send a revival? May the revival fires fall on this place, on me, right here, right now. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Our heads are bowed. I'm going to invite you right now. Just They'll play a little music. I'm just going to invite you to get up. Our pastor, our staff are here. This altar is open. And I want to invite you to come and If you're physically able, get on your knees. If you're not physically able, just come and stand. Or you can come and sit on some of these front pews that are open. I'm just inviting you to do something with what you've heard. Do something with what you've heard. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells you. Come on right now. Come on, come on, come on.